Please be seated. As I introduced myself a while ago, I am Father Wayne Wimbish. I'm the pastor of New Hope Mission Church in St. Peter's. Uh, most of you I know. Uh, there are a few faces that I don't know because I don't normally attend at 9 a.m. Uh, my wife and I attend at uh, 10.30 most of the time uh, when we're here. Um, this is my grandmother church. Uh, this church planted another church in St. Charles County about, oh, I think it was 2015. Um, I became a member there in 2016 and uh, they eventually adopted the name Christ Church Anglican in O'Fallon, Missouri. John, you were part of that foundation. Uh, but that church then planted New Hope Mission because uh, the bishop said, you know, Wayne, I'm going to ordain you as a deacon because I feel like you're called, but I'm not going to ordain you as a priest until I see some work. <laughs> he, put the, he put the finger on me and said, I want you to go out and, and plant something. And so uh, with some coaching from the bishop and his canon, uh, we discovered that my biggest strengths are in uh, ministering to people who are already gathered. And uh, we looked and thought about what kinds of uh, opportunities that might be. And the uh, assisted living population in our county uh, really was crying out for someone to minister to them. Uh, at the time, uh, before 2010, when I did demographics last uh, there were eight to 9,000 people in assisted living or skilled nursing in St. Charles County. And so we began a ministry to them. Our mission is to take the church to people who cannot get out to go to church. And I've been doing that now for over 10 years. Uh, at, and that means going to a lot of different facilities because we can't get them all together in one place. Uh, prior to COVID hitting, uh, I was going to seven facilities a week, which can't do all that on Sunday. So I was going to some on Wednesday, some on Thursday, some on Friday. Uh, and it was a quite busy week. Uh, since COVID, we're down to five, but we're still serving about 95 people a week. Uh, I, I, I'll try and describe this ministry a couple times a year when I have the opportunity. And so it's been a while since I've I let people know who I am and what I do that I thought you might uh, enjoy hearing that once again. We do uh, look to this congregation uh, as, a, as a means of support. There are a lot of people in this congregation who do uh, work with us. Steve does, Sarah does, uh, Nellie Williams does, uh, Joshua. Uh, what's Joshua's life? Huh? No? Not, uh, Overture. Overture. Yeah, he was a reader for us for a while, and uh, I haven't seen him uh, in a bit. But uh, we welcome uh, any help and all help that we can get. So uh, just I'll just throw that out there. If you feel a call to come and insist the, insist, uh, assist us with the elderly, uh, that would uh, be most welcome. Well, it has been my custom uh, on the first week after Christmas to preach from John chapter 1. Uh, and since all my services have been during the week, I've never run into the occasion where Christmas fell on Sunday and New Year's fell the following Sunday. And so this is actually Christmas too, 
rather than Christmas 1. And so the reading today looks out of place, but I decided that uh, this is what I was prepared for, and so this is what you got, <laughs> is, what, uh, is what we're doing over at New Hope. And so today we're going to be speaking from John chapter 1, uh, from 1 to 18, uh, which is is the formative statement of John's gospel. If you look at the, at the, the four gospels, each one of the writers will tell you uh, up front what their purpose is in presenting the information that they do. If you look in Matthew's gospel, he starts right off with the genealogy of Jesus, starting with Abraham and working up through David and all the way to the birth of, of Christ. He wants to make sure that you know that as a Jewish audience of his day, that Jesus was fully qualified through genealogy to be a descendant of Abraham and be a descendant of David and to fulfill the covenants that God made with Abraham and David. Mark uh, goes straight to John the Baptist. But he tells us this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And by calling him Jesus Christ, he asserts his Messiahship in his opening. Luke, of course, you know, wants to make a careful study. He wants to uh, present an orderly account to his friend Theophilus so that he would know with certainty the things that he'd been told. John waits until the end of his gospel to tell us what his intention was over here in John 20 in verse 31. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, so that you will believe that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. That is John's purpose for his gospel. And so as he opens here in chapter 1, he wants to assert beyond any doubt who Jesus is. This is his introduction to the things that he's going to present. He presents all of these things in his gospel so that we would know who Jesus is. He says there's so many things that Jesus did, all the miracles that he did, that there's not enough books in the whole world to to record it all. But he's presenting these things. So that we might know. And see, he goes right to the start. He goes to the very beginning. He starts where Genesis starts. You know, Genesis starts with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. I I wrote out in my... uh, Margins here in my Bible. I hope you guys write in your Bibles. Uh, I do a lot of highlighting uh, as well as note taking. But but in this in this uh, margin here for these first two verses, I wrote pre-existent God. John wants people to know that the Word was pre-existent. That it was with God in the beginning. There, it was not something that was created later. In fact, in the next two verses, we find out how he relates to creation. But the first thing he wants us to know is that the Word was 
In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. And we say, well, what is this word? In Greek, it's the word logos. And for Greek readers, they would have, they would have resonated with that. They would have said that this is kind of like wisdom. It's, it's a, a concept uh, that permeates everything. And so John is saying that that is always existed. And that word is God. We look back over in Genesis and we see that creation came into being when God, excuse me, when God spoke. And I've always equated God speaking with God's word. I look in Genesis 1 and I see the Father, I see the Son as the spoken word, and I see the Spirit hovering over the waters. John says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. There are some people that wanted to say that, well, even if this word was there in the beginning, it was something that God created first. John wants to dispel that notion right off the bat. He says that nothing was created without him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. I urge you as you're doing your own Bible studies that you study from several different translations. I'm speaking from the NIV here, but I keep the ESV really handy and I, I've got a, uh, a Greek interlinear Bible that gives me Greek and English in the same sentence so I can kind of look at the Greek words as I go along. Uh, if you really want to do serious study, you need more than one translation so that you get the nuances of what's going on. Uh, in the NIV here it says that he was the light of all men. Uh, in ESV it says everyone. Uh, I asked uh, Donna to print the NIV in the bulletin today. so uh, That's why it uh, sounded a little different from the reading from the uh, gospel readings, which are all ESV, I believe, aren't they? So. Anyway, in uh, was life. And that life was the light of all people, and that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In the uh, ESV, it says that darkness has not overcome it. John is starting to allude to darkness in terms of disobedient humanity, and the light as that which shines into it. The, there's a uh, nuance of this verb that is is something that is grasped. The darkness has not grasped, has not caught on to this light. It can't overcome it. And it certainly tries. There came a man who was sent from God. Uh, this section here concerns the witness of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning this light so that through him all people might believe. John had a purpose. John had a mission. In the spirit of Elijah, John came to prepare the way, to prepare hearts of the people for the coming of the Messiah. He went out into the wilderness dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt and spoke a message of repentance 
to turn away from the darkness, to turn away from the ways of the world and the flesh and turn back to God to prepare the way in the desert. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that everyone might believe. He himself was not the light. John the Baptist is very clear to, to say that I'm not the one. He was, he was extensively questioned on this as to whether he was the Messiah, Messiah or whether he was Elijah. He said, I'm not. There's one coming after me who's greater. The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. We see in Genesis 1 the creation of the world. We see the, the creation of humanity. The blessing that God places on humanity to, to go forth and multiply, be prosperous. We see God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden before they fall. And once again, with the blessing of Abraham, we see God present in the world again. We see through the Exodus that God brings his people out with a mighty hand and leads them. He goes before them as a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they might know that he's with them. And yet, they were a stiff-necked people. They fought him at every turn. They would, they would uh, get religion for a little while. They would remember who God was, and then they forget. We see the course of the judges. We see this back and forth between following God and walking in their own way. Finally, we see at the uh, exile that God has finally reached a point where he knows that correction is needed. He sends them into exile. And then they're coming back from exile, we see a period of 400 years where the presence of God and his word through the prophets is not known. And the people are hungry for a Messiah to come. John says that this light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. That God was going to be with his people once again. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. This is the mysterious part about us as people. Even when God comes into our midst, into our very presence, we don't recognize him. We don't acknowledge him. I think it's because, as, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, that uh, we have been given over to a depraved mind. When I read through Romans chapter 1 and I see all the things that people have been doing because of this depravity, I usually think of, well, that's not me. That's, that's those depraved people. I've been saved. I've got the Spirit of God in my heart. And yet I realize we still have depraved minds. We still cannot think the way God has truly intended for us to. And so when God came into this world, the world didn't recognize him. He came to those which were his own. He came to the Hebrews. He came to those that he had called out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
And they weren't ready to acknowledge him. There were some that John the Baptist uh, called to repentance in the desert, but for the most part, Israel didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. The leadership was vehemently against him. He came to that which was his own, and yet his own did not receive him. They didn't want him. They would have said, go away. Eventually, they put him to death. And yet, to everyone who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we come to faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, we become adopted sons and daughters of God. And God literally dwells within us. We become sons. We become heirs. I'm going to read a little bit from uh, Colossians in a minute. Save that for a second. But you can see John already setting the stage for what Jesus is going to be speaking to Nicodemus about when Nicodemus comes in the night because he, he doesn't want to come when it's light because somebody might see him. And Jesus tells him that this is what is to be, is that God loved the world so much that he sent his son into this world so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Because God didn't. Send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He came. The, he sent Jesus into the world to save him, save the world through him. And yet, everyone who does not believe stands condemned already because they don't believe. I was reading a uh, passage in, on Facebook this week, uh, and this person talked about how when Jesus. I was on the cross and he said, it's finished, that that sealed our salvation. That it didn't require repentance or anything else. And I go, well, this person has not read John. Yes, the, the fact that Jesus finished everything on the cross sealed the path for us to salvation. But if we don't take it... If we don't accept it, if we spurn it, if we turn away from it, it does no good. He gave us the right to become children of God, not children born of natural descent, not children born of human decision, not children born of a husband's will, children born of God. Brothers and sisters, that's who we are. We're children of God. He lives in us. The Word became flesh. Now this is something that uh, Greek uh, thinkers would have really uh, raised their hackles over. They were so used to the idea of thinking of spiritual in one category and flesh in the other category. And the idea of one Becoming the other was a radical idea to them. But the Word became flesh. He didn't look like flesh. He didn't have the appearance of flesh. He didn't 
imitate flesh. He became flesh. He became one of us. Uh, the sermon illustration that I have for this afternoon shows a picture of a baby in the manger and two little pink feet sticking out from under the blanket. He really did become one of us. He didn't do it so that he might know what it's like to be human. He did it so that we might know what it's like to have God in us. As human beings filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus came to show us. He made his dwelling among us. This word dwelling here is the same word that's used in the Old Testament for tabernacle. It's the dwelling place that God resides in as he travels with his people so that they can see him in their midst. God tabernacled with his people throughout the 40 years in the desert. He, he tabernacled with them up until the time that David brought the tabernacle into uh, Jerusalem and Solomon began construction of the temple. He dwelt among us. God didn't just stay aloof. He didn't just stay off somewhere in the heavens where he's hard and uh, remote and inaccessible. But he came and lived among us as one of us. Still fully God and yet also fully human. And John testifies that he has seen, he says, we have seen his glory. Uh, I'm sure that John here is speaking of himself and the other disciples, especially Peter and James who went with John up on the mountain and saw Jesus transfigured before him to see his true glory. Moses only got to see God's glory from behind. God placed him in a cleft in the rock and passed by and then Moses got to peek out. But Peter and James and John got to see Jesus in his glory from the front. Face to face, in person. And here they give witness to it. We have seen the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John returns to the witness of John the Baptist. John the Baptist testifies concerning Jesus. He says, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Chronologically, Jesus may have come after John by about six months. But spiritually, Jesus was there from the creation of the world. He was there from the beginning because Jesus was God. I'll turn back over to Colossians now and read this about who Jesus is. Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By Him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That's something that we need to remember sometime when we think about God and creation, that we were created for him. We were created for relationship 
with God. It pains me to think about how we broke God's heart when we fell in the garden. When we decided to walk away from what God wanted so much. He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning of the, and the firstborn from among the dead. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. By making peace through His blood shed on the cross. The purpose that Jesus came into this world for was to reunite us with our Maker. To bring us into oneness with our Creator. And for this purpose, He took on flesh. He came into the world and walked among us so that we might behold God. I've I've often, over the course of the, of the years that I've been through, looked upon Jesus as something semi-detached from God. That, that Jesus, being Son of God, somehow wasn't really God. I mean, uh, I've grown in my faith over the years, and, uh, and I understand now who Jesus is, as we just read in Colossians, that Jesus is God. If you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. Because he is the visible image of the invisible God. The Trinity is the hardest thing for me to understand. I know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know that God is one. God is God. But it's only hit me in the last few years that Jesus is God. In every possible sense of the word. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God except for God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side and has made him known to us. God made himself known to us by taking on flesh, by becoming human. So that we might be able to tangibly see him and touch him and hear him and listen to his words and hear his heart as to what he truly desires for us. If you read the rest of John's gospel, then you see the things that John thinks are the most important things that Jesus had to do and say that would lead us to the understanding of who he is. That he truly is the Messiah. He truly is the Son of God and that by believing in him, we might have life. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through the Son. By sending him into this world, by causing him to take on human flesh. To become one of us, not to teach us, not to, not that you might know what it's like to be human, but to teach us what it's like to be a human filled with your Holy Spirit. 
Jesus, through His Spirit, lives within us. He tabernacles with us even still in our hearts. We are now the dwelling place of God. Let that sink home. God is with us. God is within us. And we are truly now able to walk with Him. Lord, we thank You and praise You for all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.